0: Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but have been a photographer over 30 years, and if a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you can say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing, illustrating, and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This radio program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross, on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as the program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week, we read one of the essays and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens Scripture. This week's devotional is inspired by the image named The Departure, which is an image of the cross covering the lower 20% of the frame, which means there's a lot of sky. A golden brown sky, as if it was shot enough after sunset that there was just enough light to still have color. In the upper right-hand quadrant, there is an airplane heading away from the cross. This image was the first image I ever used on a card. It was used on the front of the memorial card to honor the life of my grandmother Darlene at her funeral. In regards to what I took from the image, I remember that when we review the entirety of the Bible, there's only a handful of people that have departed for heaven in their earthly body. These being Enoch, Moses, Elijah, and of course. Jesus in his resurrected body. The thing that intrigues me about Enoch is that he had a deep and intimate relationship with God without a church or a religion. This tells me a lot. It tells me that our relationship with God and maintaining a right relationship with God does not have to be predicated with a particular denomination or preacher. The Bible says that Enoch knew and experienced the nearness, fellowship, and closeness of God. God was so much part of his daily life that the presence of God was at the center of every aspect of his life. Enoch not just believed in God, he knew God. He had an intimate fellowship with God. The relationship that God had with Moses and Elijah were slightly different, but there was obviously something special enough to allow them to depart from this dimension in their mortal bodies. And is there a chance for any of us holy enough to be carried away to heaven this way? In an individual sense, I would say most likely not. But collectively, if we are in the end times, the odds are very high. The Bible says that at some point during the tribulation, those in Christ will be raptured to heaven. But then that may not happen in this generation. So, What should our perspective be about departing our mortal bodies into eternity? The good news of the gospel is that our spiritual destination is secure. The Bible says, We are confident, I say, and willing, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8 If we have faith that this is our ultimate eternal destination, then how should we live out our days? If we know that we are unconditionally loved and fully forgiven, then I can't imagine any other emotion than gratitude and joy. Most people who are not Christian think that believers in Christ who do good works do so to prevent going to hell. They have no way of really knowing that it is from utter gratitude that we strive to help others to know the good news of the gospel. Jesus said, when you've helped the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. So we help when we can from a desire to share our joy so others can feel the peace of being forgiven and healed. The other perspective that we are blessed to live out our days with is that our loved ones, those that accepted Jesus before passing away, did not really die. They simply departed from this dimension into the presence of Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. This reality provides us God's perfect peace, preventing the possibility of heartache, bitterness, or loneliness. Why? Because we believe, we have faith, we know they are not really dead, but fully enveloped in the love and light of Jesus. And since we, fellow believers have the same eternal destiny we look forward with eagerness that we will be reunited what is the foundation of this knowing it is all because of jesus story of the life of jesus is detailed in the bible to a point we are told in john 21 verse 25 that jesus did many things if any one of them were written down i suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. But from what we see in the Bible, we have three stories within his story. These are the events leading up to and surrounding the miraculous birth of Christ, an event that was such a paradigm shift that all of time was restarted. For those of you listening who are not aware, when we say it is 2022, we are saying that it is approximately 2,000 years ago since the life of Christ. Meaning, when any of the 8 billion people refer to that date, they are speaking to the birth of Jesus, the new Adam. And when one looks at the bigger picture, we see how the holiday of Christmas is becoming a global holiday. When you take into account the religious art, songs, literature, Movies, TV shows, and countless school Christmas performances. I guess some of them call it holiday pageants now. There are so many expressions about this holiday. About St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, Rudolph and the Reindeers, Frosty the Snowman, Jack Frost, Chippy the Elf, and much more. And many more interpretive evolutions happen each year. So when I try to look over the amount of disparate things created and the amount of money that is made, all originating from the story of the birth of Christ, it is a bit overwhelming. But if we return to the source story, the thing that amazes me is how the story is such a simplistic but persuasive witnessing tool. If a picture tells a thousand words then a Christmas painting or a nativity scene preaches to the good news of God becoming man, I remember the awe-inspiring moment I walked into my first creche exhibit. Now, it seems that while Mormons don't really focus on the cross at all, they really enjoy celebrating the birth of Jesus. What I learned is that all around the country, most congregations hold a creche exhibit. Normally the first week of December. It includes choral performances and other peripheral Christmas events, free hot chocolate. The first one that I went to, there were hundreds of nativities owned by various families who lend the crèche to the event for that weekend. The first one I attended was big enough to group them by regions of the world in different rooms of the church. There was a Latin American-based area, an Asian section, an African grouping. There was a European area, a Nordic area, a Russian area, a North American section. Just amazing. Such a night of epiphanies. How many ways could the same story be told so differently, non-verbally, And plain, simply. From the materials used, the customary outfits made, the animals presented, and yes, even the types of buildings utilized as the manger. I mean, in Europe, you may have deer, but in Africa, they're oxen. And in Asia, there were yaks at the manger. In Russia, the trees are pine. In Asia, there was bamboo in the nativity. And in the Latin area, they had palm trees. Some characters were made from wood or clay or aluminum, corn husks, porcelain, and much more. In Canada, the roofs were slanted to help the snow fall off, and then in the Philippines, the manger is the equivalent of eight feet off the ground on stilts to outlast the tidal surge or a monsoon flood. So many different ways to tell the same story, and we are only at the beginning of the story of Jesus' life. We then have only a few glimpses of Jesus from that point in the manger story. It is really not until he reaches 30 years of age when he starts his ministry. Then we follow him as he questions, teaches, feeds, exercises demons, tames the weather, heals, prophesies, and even raises from the dead. All of which, especially his 40-day trial of complete fasting, terrible temptation, and eventual victory over Satan, leads us to the sacrifice Jesus allowed himself to be. What I am thinking through right now is why are there nowhere near the broad range of art about his crucifixion, as you see with the Nativity? I have a hunch as to why that it may have to do with the dark nature and bloody aspect of that night and day. And while that may be why the range of artistic expression of Golgotha is less than Bethlehem, the Calvary story has much more twists and turns and intrigue. It reminds me of the Game of Thrones type of a story with courtside intrigue of Caiaphas lobbying Herod and Pilate to have them eliminate the competition to the Pharisees by killing Jesus. The deep symbology of the Last Supper, the mysticism of the aberrations of Moses and Elijah, The passion of Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, so intense that his sweat was mixed with blood. Then there's the kiss of the betrayer, juxtaposed with the healing of the servant's ear. Then there is the way that Jesus chose to respond in the two trials, and the lessons we can learn from the rage of the mob in contrast to Palm Sunday. Then the story goes really dark to a series of torture, beatings, and ridicule, and shaming. This is the second of the three stories of his life that really kicks in and we find ourselves at Golgotha where we see so many additional substories so many things happening at the foot of the cross yes the talk and the taunting among the indifferent roman guards that had just tortured jesus in so many ways or the two thieves when they talk to jesus and themselves the discussion between the two Marys and his most intimate disciple, John. And what is the broader meaning when Jesus asked John to care for Mary and Mary to care for John? What can we learn from the deeper meaning when Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, or cried, I thirst, or uttered, I commit my life into your hands. And especially when he ultimately says, it is finished. And finally, the symbolism of wrapping Jesus and placing him into a freshly carved cave, designed to be a tomb. Which leads me to the third of the three main stories of Jesus, which is coincidentally broken down into its own thirds. The first is what happens in Hades. What? What you say? Jesus went to hell? How could the most perfect and innocent man ever to have lived have to go to hell? Well, it is my contention that it is because he could meaning only he could. The Bible tells us that Jesus went down and took back the keys of death, hell, and the grave. As if Jesus did not have enough miraculous power, he now had all the power over our planet and the inhabitants, the power previously lost in the Garden of Eden. This is the reason Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. We humans, through the first Adam, lost the connection to God and his holy presence, and through the second Adam, the right relationship with God is restored. Now, I often wonder what really happened down there when Jesus, the Son of God, went into the realm of Satan and all the demons to demand rightful return of authority over death, hell, and the grave. Wow. The second part of the third story is the actual remarkable resurrection When Jesus came back to life on the third day, as some prophets and he himself prophesied about, from scientists who have studied the Shroud of Turin, which, for those of you who may not know, is purported to be the burial cloth used to wrap the body of Jesus. It is a long cloth. If laid out, it is more than twice as long as his body. They laid him on his back on the cloth, then they would fold it around his head and across his feet, Covers entire body. The shroud, as they used to call burial cloths, is purported to be the one that surrounded Jesus. It contains an image of a body. It is the only shroud found that has an image like this that can be best described as a photographic type negative. For those of you who are not familiar with traditional film photography, Cameras used film to capture an image. However, when it does, it imprints the image on the film using light onto what is called a negative. At this stage, it is the reverse of what was captured, meaning where there are blacks in the scenes, you see whites on the negative. And where there are whites in the scene, it is black on the negative. And of course, many shadations of gray between the zones of darker to lighter. Now, to create a print from a film negative... You place a particular negative into what is called an enlarger, and again, you will shoot light through the negative onto a specially sensitive paper in a dark room to make a positive, or what is considered by most as the print, or the finished photographic print, or simply a photo. Now, when you consider this process, and we return again to the shroud, again, the only one of its kind with an image of a man, an image on both sides the front and the back of the body, in the form of a negative. Well, this means two things, and I will share them in reverse order of magnitude of importance. One is that when scientists have made a positive of the shroud, it means that we have an actual photograph of Jesus Christ. We know what he looks like now. It is very cool. Now, You can look it up online or use a search engine like startpage.com and then click images to see images of the negative and of the positive to see what Jesus looked like. It's just amazing. We get to see what Jesus Christ looked like. And if there's much doubt about who this man was, look closely. There are spots of blood around the crown of his head where the thorns would have dug in. You see the blood spots on his wrist and ankles. And what is amazing is the wounds are not in his hands, like many artists depict him, but just above the wrist, in between the two bones of the lower forearm. Scientists have proven that you can't crucify someone by nailing their hands as the weight of the body would rip through the soft webbing of the skin between the fingers. Then there is what can clearly be seen as the wound from the sword that pierced his side. It is amazing. But what is even more amazing is that my second point, which is what would have or could have caused a negative to be imprinted on the burial cloth. Scientists who have studied this have concluded that it had to have been the same process of shooting light onto a negative in a camera, meaning... When I shoot an image, I release the shutter which opens the aperture and light streams in and it hits the film. And that imprints the image of what I composed. What this means is the only explanation possible within our knowledge of physics is that there was an immense amount of energy. Maybe not just an abundance of visible light, but possibly an intense mix of other spectrums of light. Of course, we know that light is both a particle and a wave. And from the broad spectrum of electromagnetic spectrum of light frequencies, it could have been a combination of those. All we know is that there was a wide spectrum of energy emitted from the inside outward onto the cloth when Jesus was actually resurrected. Just incredible. To me, this enough validates the paradigm that Jesus is more than a story. However, I am barely on the... Second third of the third part of this sub-story of Jesus. The third third of his life is the 40 days that the resurrected Jesus walked on the earth. And not just as an aberration, but Jesus was actually in physical form. We know this from when Jesus asked the doubting Thomas to touch him and feel his wounds. And so Thomas, and all of us, now know his actual body was alive. And he also interfaced with many people throughout the region. And yet, he was more than just resurrected in physical form. Jesus, in this new phase state, was more than just the body. We get a glimpse of it a few times where it seems he was able to change his appearance, like on the road to Emmaus, walking with the two disciples. He seemed to have another appearance until the ending part of their conversation, when he revealed his form. Or in John 21, 4, when the disciples were fishing, and as they were headed towards the shore they did not recognize Jesus until he revealed himself. Then he ate fish and bread with them, another validation that Jesus was not simply an aberration. And he also seemed to have supernatural powers, like in John 20:19 when Jesus simply appeared where the disciples were held up in a locked room, or when in Luke 24:36 they were talking in a group and Jesus simply appeared. Among them, causing most of them to fear, thinking they had seen a ghost. Clearly, his corporal body had an ultra dimensional property to it. Now, instead of focusing on how that could be possible, I key in on a new theme of interaction with the disciples from the post resurrection Jesus, and that is the new greeting and the blessing that Jesus began to say, which was, Peace be with you. This is very telling to me in relation to the time the disciples were locked up in the room together. Most of them had abandoned hope, and the death of Jesus caused them to fear, and they were anxious that the Jewish leaders might come for them next. But Jesus imparts peace to their troubled hearts. And to me, this is Jesus' personal take on the gospel. When Jesus is with you, like he was with them in the locked room, and you are in him, then there is actually nothing to fear. You can live in perfect peace in any situation. Which leads us to the ultra-important great commissioning and the supernatural ascension. Jesus tells Peter, the one with seemingly the most faults, that he will be the rock with which his church will be built on and to, in several ways, to tend to the flock of Jesus. He blessed the others admonishing them to share the gospel with every creature. I always wonder what he meant by that. Did the translation mean every type of living creature, or a way of saying everyone from every disparate race and culture? I noticed when reading the stories of the Church Fathers that St. Francis took this literally, preaching to birds and many other animals, which miraculously seemed to respond and listen. For me, I take this to mean that I am to share the good news of the gospel with everyone, every chance, and in every way I can. Some I know are doctors or dentists, like the ones my mom served with on the Anastasis YWAM ship. They use their medical training and skills to share the gospel. Phil Driscoll used his trumpet. Jerry Jenkins used his storytelling ability. A widow uses her gift of interceding. The little drummer boy, his drumming, and my mom simply used her abounding joy to share the gospel. And I pray that God will bless my daily intentions to meet the Great Commission through my talent, through my photography, and peripherally through the written and the spoken word. Like what you are hearing right now. So, who are you? And what gifts were you born with or developed since being born again? The Bible says you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And that means you have a destiny and a purpose, and you have something you can use to share the gospel to those in your ever-changing circle of influence. So let's get to the end of the third part of the third part of the story of Jesus, after his miraculous ascension in his physical form up into another dimension. If, as I previously pondered, Jesus was just in physical form, which means that he went to the right hand of God in corporal form. Unless I'm mistaken, something like this has never happened except for Enoch, Elijah, and Moses. I'm not certain of what it means, but I am amazed to think that humans can enter the other dimension of heaven in physical form. But I should not be surprised as God's ways are so much higher than my ant-sized brain can understand especially when I realize that these three main stories of the story of Jesus is really not the full story of Jesus. Oh no, not even close. As I alluded to earlier, Jesus, in a different form, was around before his birth, way before Bethlehem. Philippians 2.6 makes it clear that as the Son of God, he existed from eternity past. Jesus said to God, in John 17.24, that God the Father loved him before the foundation of the world and was receiving the worship of the heavenly host, as called out in Isaiah 6.1 and John 12.37. Actually, it is John that infers that Jesus is God the Son, as the creator of all things, when he referred to him as the Word. Quote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Unquote. Paul, the writer of most of the New Testament, confers this perception in Colossians 1.15, John 1.10, and 1 Corinthians 8.6. We even have possible manifestations of Jesus before his birth, like the references to Melchizedek, the king of Salem, later known as Jeru-Salem, when Jesus was a forerunner or an archetype. Not really sure. And it seems non-consequential that Melchizedek had such an impact on the father of the Hebrews in both the Jewish and Christian religions, that person being Abraham. And even if you discount all that, it is undeniable of all the foretelling of the arrival of Jesus, so many Old Testament prophets. There are no less than 55 prophecies about Jesus' role of providing salvation to all of humanity well before Jesus was born. So far, we have three main stories of Jesus. And the Bible's claim that Jesus was with the Father since before creation. And yet, I'm not done validating the contention that Jesus was more than a story. And that is because of what the Bible says about Jesus after his ascension, that he was seated at the right hand of God. The Bible tells us that he will come back to establish a heavenly kingdom on earth. And will do this through an event known as the rapture an event where the dead in Christ will rise from the dead and will meet Jesus in the air and remain with him forever. There are varying schools of thought about when the rapture actually starts. Some say that it will happen before, during, or after the tribulation. I'm not too concerned about that. I'm just looking forward to being with Jesus. Now, not before. Now none of this, though, happens before the kingdoms of the world come to fight Jesus in the valley of Megiddo. In an apocalyptic battle known as Armageddon, the army of Jesus wins and his kingdom will be marked by material and spiritual blessings. So, what do you say to all that, my brothers and sisters? I just shared with you three main stories and a bunch of sub stories or subsections of Jesus' life and his pre story, his post story. Can you agree with me that Jesus is much more than a story? If so, great. Continue. Or start living your life in the reality of who Jesus really is. And as he said to his disciples, go in peace. If your answer is no, then I strongly suggest you find a Bible. Read and consider John 1, 12, John 11:25, 25, John 20, 30, and 31, and especially John 5, 24. Quote, whoever hears my words believes him who sent me has eternal life. My admonition is to repent and believe in the gospel. And if you choose to believe, then close your eyes, picture Jesus sitting in front of you. Tell Jesus you believe in him and you want to be saved from your life of sin and hurt to a life of forgiveness, healing, and peace. Ask Jesus to come into the locked room of your heart today. Then seek out a mature Christian or a local church and have someone to walk alongside you to help nurture you in your new life in Christ today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program, heard every week here on Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this week's image, the departure, along with... Prosperations and other versperations, then check out Rob Holt inspires on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn more about the cross products or read further meditative musings on the cross, then log on to robbyholt.com. That is R-O-B-B-Y-H-O-L-T.com.